Welcome to the Square Apple Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Yong Xin Ling. I'm the co-founder of Change Voyage Consulting. After 20 years of corporate life, I successfully transited to be an entrepreneur. Wearing multiple hats as an entrepreneur, adjunct lecturer, mother, wife, daughter, sister, has taught me how to navigate life's challenges. And my secret is the Square Apple. In this show, I will discuss tips and strategies to change the way you think about your personal and professional life. Because if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Ready to activate the square apple in you? Let's begin! Hi, my name is Shinning and welcome to the Square Apple Show. Since I graduated with PhD in General Management from SMU a few years ago, I continue to receive inquiries on my journey in the, in the PhD course and it's usually from people who are standing at the edge of the cliff wondering if they should jump. These people are mostly friends or relatives or friends of friends or interested people that are referred to talk to me by the school. Their questions can be broken into three components. So the first one is what made me sign up for the PhD program? What is the journey like and what is the journey after? So I thought that maybe addressing these questions via a podcast would be helpful for people who are peering over the edge of the cliff. If you are such a person, this podcast is for you. Before I answer these three questions, I'm going to clarify the difference between Applied Research PhD and what we call the traditional PhD in the SMU Business School. The traditional PhD in whatever domain area are focused on the development of new theories, Typically, there are requirements to publish their research findings in journals as prerequisite to graduation. The Applied Research PhD, which I'm part of, are catered to practitioners who will undertake research which are focused on addressing problems or certain gaps in the business world. The curriculum for the PhD in General Management program involves a year of structured coursework where we will go through about 10 modules followed by a qualifying exam and then we can start our dissertation. The level of academic rigor is um, the same for both of them. So what made me sign up for the PhD? I was first introduced to the PhD program by two of my ex-colleagues um, from the consulting firm that I used to work in. At that point in time, I was at a career crossroad and I thought it was a good time to pursue a PhD because I couldn't see myself going into another corporate role immediately and since I had enjoyed my experience doing my master's degree in UNSW, I thought it was a logical thing to do. I didn't really have a clear idea of where it would bring me. Um, moreover, the schedule allowed me to work and study at the same time. Although it was logical, it was nonetheless a difficult decision to make because of the hefty financial investment involved. My lack of clarity was called out by the then program director, Dr. Z, in my interview. When he asked me why I pursued a PhD, I firstly said it was because I enjoyed learning. Then he said, so why don't you just read a book if you enjoy learning? Then I said, well, it's because I enjoy knowledge creation. And then he said, maybe it'll be easier if you just wrote a book. So I eventually said, okay, I have a confession to make. It's entirely out of vanity and I just want to be able to have a doctor in front of my name printed on the etiquette. He obviously found my answer hilarious, but he, he let me pass nonetheless. 
So the journey can be divided into three stages or what I call zones. The first stage is what I call the honeymoon zone, which takes place in the first year. This stage is bittersweet. Sweet because I learned so much new knowledge, both in breadth and in depth. Previously, I'm only familiar with my domain area, but in the first year, we had to complete different modules in different domain areas, ranging from operations management, economics, financial, finance, strategy, statistics, and organizational behavior. Even within each domain area, we were exposed to a lot of leading-edge and mind-blowing research which were done. Like, for example, whether judges are more lenient in handing down parole judgments after their break. It was as if my intellectual blinkers were lifted. Last time, we were always only thinking about the work issues that we face using our knowledge from a single domain area. But being exposed to multiple and likely foreign topics exposed you to different ways of looking at the world. Not only were the domain area that we were exposed to were vastly different, so were the people that I came across. I was in a small batch of six people when I first started, uh, which comprised people from various industries and professions, ranging from business owners of consultancy firms, poly lecturers, boss of insurance company, um, boss of IT outsourcing company, retirees, HR business partner, etc. The presence of these people with a variety of backgrounds also made the lessons come to life because everyone was able to lend a practical lens to the subjects that were being taught. Then comes the bitter part. Life in the first year was a never-ending cycle of reading research papers and writing assignments. Reading research paper was a challenge, at least in the beginning. When I say research papers, I don't mean the likes of Harvard Business Review. We had to read and understand the background research, research design, the context of the research, and the implications of the statistical results. It's all written in English, but very often it's no different from reading Greek. Especially when you're tired, it's very difficult to get anything into your head. In addition to reading papers, we had to complete assignments. Most assignments require you to develop certain hypotheses relating to the topic that you wish to write about. And it cannot be any hypothesis. It must be something that no one has directly researched on and must be of value and impact to the business community. I have the personal habit of thinking about difficult-to-solve work issues when I run. And that year, I ran so much, sometimes almost daily, just so that I have the headspace to think about some groundbreaking idea to base my hypothesis on. After the ideation, there's still the actual writing. I was still working then, so the only time I had to complete my assignments were during weekends where I had a chunk of uninterrupted time sitting at McDonald's while waiting for my children to finish enrichment class at Barry's. So basically, there was not much of social life for a year. The second stage is called the danger zone. After we finish up the coursework, we could embark on our dissertation. How can I describe this experience? For those of you who run marathons, you would probably know that every one kilometer that you complete, there will be a big signboard that says something like three kilometers left and probably there's some words of encouragement on it. There will also likely be people who started the race at about the same time, taking the same route as you, running alongside you so that you are motivated by these people. But the dissertation journey is like you are being pushed into a boundaryless ocean. You are the only person on the boat 
and you're the only person on this route. There is no one other than yourself who should care more about reaching the destination. Of course, our assigned supervisors care, but he would assume that we are all adults capable of managing ourselves and our work. And this is the danger zone. For those of us who have full-time jobs, it is a daily struggle to be disciplined to set aside time to develop our research topic, designing and executing the research and analysing the results. I have seen many course mates who took much longer than expected to complete their dissertation because they were seduced by their daily urgent and important task. I have seen many course mates who either eventually quit their day job or took a sabbatical to complete their long overdue dissertation. Fortunately, during my time, the program director, Dr. Z, frequently checked in on us and spent time talking to those of us who were taking an unusually long time. His role of reigning in the lost was instrumental in getting many of us to our final destination. For me, it was also fortunate that I have a supervisor, Dr. Jochen Rapp, that was very structured and valued discipline. As an experienced PhD supervisor, he was also instrumental in planning the research so that I had minimum problems during the execution. Although one of my planned studies was eventually scrapped because no organisation can sponsor the study, I managed to complete the dissertation without much issues. After the danger zone, and if we successfully graduate, I will call the third stage the it's up to you zone. There are people who are still doing pretty much their corporate job and nothing very much has changed other than having the doctor title on their name card and on LinkedIn. Maybe they got a promotion, but I'm not sure. On the other end of the spectrum, there are people like myself who got into the academia network and started to teach and write. For me and others who run our own consultancies, the way that we develop our offerings and products are more influenced by the research and we tend to take a more data-driven angle to what we do because it's all about being evidence-based. Other than the knowledge acquired, I've also established strong working partnerships with friends that I got to know during the course and through the social gatherings and we have gone on to develop collaborations and partnerships. So it's up to you. The knowledge, experience and network are what you gain over the two to three years that you are in the tunnel. They are as valuable as you know how to make use of it. But it's not as straightforward as getting a pay rise or a promotion once you get a doctoral degree. But that's also the exciting part. The possibilities are endless and it's up to you. From my sharing, you can see that the PhD journey is one that has some dangers, not entirely a smooth ride, but with great rewards and must be thoroughly considered before you join. But then again, it's one of those things like having kids where you can never be fully prepared. Hopefully, my sharing above can give you some insights on the decision to jump over the cliff. Whether it's over the cliff into a greener pasture or into a boiling cauldron, it's really up to you. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you have questions or thoughts, please connect with me on LinkedIn at bit.ly slash squareapple. That's bit.ly forward slash s-q-u-a-r-e-a-p-p-l-e. Thank you and see you soon. Thank you for joining me today. 
I'm very honoured to have you here. If you would like to keep going and want to know more about the number one Southeast Asia's leading female entrepreneurship network, head over to Soul Rich Woman at S-O-U-L-R-I-C-H-W-O-M-A-N.com and download the free ebook on how to get clients and multiply your income through personal branding. Remember, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Do subscribe to The Square Apple Show and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.